Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Casey Crawford of the band Virginity. We talked about Wilco's 1999 album Summer Teeth and pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone musically. Virginity released their album Pop Mortem on Smart Punk in 2021. Please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. It really helps us, and we super appreciate your support. So check that out. Okay, no delays. Let's chat with Casey. Hey Casey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, Josh? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I've, yeah, I should say more here. I'm wonderful. I drove my car all day and dropped children off at school and went and got my oil changed. This is the you know it's the glamorous lifestyle of a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, I feel like the oil change thing always takes longer than what you expect it's like they always promise you like the in and out thing but i feel like by the time i get home from an oil change it's like five hours later i get my stuff done at the dealership where we bought our van and um yeah they don't they don't uh they don't have that sort of optimism like when you come in their spirits are broken they're looking around uh, you know they can tell you can tell there's a million people there and they're just like yeah it's gonna take a long time longer than you want to be here (laughs) Yeah, this is your day. <laughs> this is it. This is what's happening. So I hope yeah. you brought a book. Yeah, they, I think they just they just want you to buy a new car, I feel like. Uh, they literally sent me an email about that because I scheduled the oil change. Mm. They were just like, hey, while you're here, we're willing to pay top dollar for 2015 Nissan Quest right now, just so you know. Yeah. One time, <laughs> Since I bought my car, uh, well, it's an old car that I don't have anymore. It was like a 2009 Nissan Versa, and it was used even at the time and uh, by like a couple of years. And so they contacted me, and they're like, uh, well, since it's a 2009, let's say this was 2012 or something, mm-hmm. they were like, uh, you probably want a new car, right? And I was <laughs> like, I just bought it like three months ago. And they were like, uh... Come on, man. But yeah, they're always trying to... They're, yeah, it's never, it's never too early for a new car. You know, but we're not we're not talking about this isn't car talk. Uh, <laughs> That's our uh, other we, podcast that we're going to be starting pretty fucking soon. It's gonna yeah, be good, um, I think you should be. Let's come up with a name. Do you want to be Clack? I can be Click. I just kind of came up with that. <laughs> click and Clack. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. All right. So <laughs> this is how podcasts are birthed, everyone. Yeah. Um. So well, before we actually start talking about Wilco. Have you ever seen a gas station named Wilco? Maybe in like Texas or something. I remember in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, where I grew up, kind of like as you headed out of town, there were Wilco gas stations. And so when I heard about the band, I was like, "They're named after where a are gas they named station." After? <laughs> yeah. yeah, which kind of like doesn't so much. That I could see it, especially yeah, at the yeah, time. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah, totally. Because you would yeah. be like, "Well, that makes sense." Actually, they've they've been in a lot of gas stations. Yeah, especially on the time that I would have heard of Wilco, or even a couple years after. It's like 
bands were called like Fuel Filter <laughs> and things. So it's like, and what Chevelle, oh, you know. Man. So it's like, you know, uh, yeah. So you know, car or gas related things wasn't that surprising at the time. Yeah, yeah. that's that's true. But it is it is just it's like a CB handle thing, right? That's what it actually is. is will comply. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's uh, yeah. bringing the facts. I'm bringing so, the facts. I unfortunately I know quite a bit about Wilco. <laughs> okay, well, okay. So we are talking about Wilco's third album, that Summer Teeth, that came out in 1999 on Reprise Records, and it was produced by them, and uh, it was recorded August 1997 to November 1998 at Willie Nelson's studio, and. Uh, what I'll ask. <clears throat> Hang on, I'll edit that out. <clears throat> when was the first time you heard Wilco or this record? Um, so the first time I heard them was um, probably in like 2000, late 2008, 2009. And I stumbled on somehow, or I know exactly how, is I was super into that Saddle Creek documentary, An Evening with Saddle Creek. And that same production company that made that put out, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. And so I came across the Wilco one, and I was like, I really like that Saddle Creek one, and I didn't know shit about Saddle Creek up until, you know, I watched that. I was like, I'll just give this a try. I've heard this name before. And, uh, like, that just kind of sold me on the band is watching that documentary so like i watched it i watched it again and then i just like immediately bought all their albums on itunes hmm. um so i guess like thinking about it um what did what what do you think you were listening to before wilco because i guess you would say relatively you didn't get into them like younger a lot of people i know did i mean i got into that i probably i feel like it clicked for me within the past couple years you know maybe like 10 now but still a little later in my life than I feel like a lot of people I know that like Wilco. Yeah. Um, well, w Wilco was the beginning of my foray into music that is not, you know, pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like before that, I listened to um, just basically just pop punk, just the most sugary type of pop punk that you can imagine. Um, and that's like what my high school band was like. Um is like a really bad pop punk band. And after high school for a while, I just kind of just listened to what I was listening to in high school. Like I was just like, you know, whatever. I just had a kid very young in life. So I was working a lot, not exploring yeah, music yeah. much. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was listening to before I found Wilco. And then Wilco set me on a path where I started like looking into like lots of other, like I, and they're not even like deep bands or anything. They're just bands I'd heard of and never listened to. Like I got into the shin shortly thereafter and then the Avids and then like, you know, this is all very basic sort of like indie rock bands, but I didn't listen to that at all. So for me, I was like, this is a new world. Yeah. I mean, even like getting it, I always tell the story, but I feel like I remember instances of like driving through the town I grew up in just listening to like death metal or metalcore. And so it's like, yeah, me getting into Wilco and things like it, uh, yeah, took a little longer because it's like you're in a completely different path, you know, for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like, and yeah, and I'd have to give credit to getting into Wilco to like, 
you know, manipulating my sort of musical palette to be more open because they had what I was looking for in terms of like, they had hooks. I just can't stand shit that doesn't have like hooks in it. Yeah. And will and you know, there's a period, you know, there's different periods of Wilco, but there is a certain period where they were, you know, and summer teeth is a part of it where they were just writing like pretty great, like pop songs. And so, but then there was also that kind of, you know, weird indie edge to it too, which was new to me. And so it's, you know, I use the hooks to get into that, to get into other very basic indie bands. Yeah. But in it led you, I guess, to checking out like Uncle Tupelo or Sunvolt. Yeah. Cause I'd never heard of either of those bands. Um, so I, of course I immediately, you know, once you get into a band and you start getting into like all the offshoots of what that band has been or, you know, side projects and stuff. So I just kind of took in everything, all of the uncle Tupelo Sunvolt, like loose fur. I think, uh, there was some of that out at that point. Yeah. I always think about like what type of mindset that is, because I've met tons of people that kind of like stay, they just kind of stay on the path they are i mean maybe there's big reasons like like you were saying you had a kid early in life and so if it went a different way you could have just kind of kept going down that path and that's totally fine but do you feel like you always kind of had that curious mind to kind of like you know how that that feeling when you're looking at like a well people don't do this anymore but like a cd booklet (laughs) and it's like who were all the things? And then when I was a kid, it would I would go check out those bands. And it oh was, yeah, hundred you know, percent. Like yeah, that's how I discovered Yellow Card in high school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you still did it. It's just you know with that kind of that style of music. So do you think that's something that people still do, or is it a certain type of person? I mean, I don't know. I definitely still do it, and like so because I had kids very young, um, you know, now I'm in my mid thirties, my oldest, uh, kid, who's my son, he is almost 16. So I like have a world into like an actual teen, like a view into a teenage life right now. Mm. And he's like, just now getting into music. It's very interesting. He's very into hip hop, okay, which, uh, which is fucking cool. Uh, that's way cooler than the shit I listen to. Yeah. Like he's really into Tyler, the creator and stuff. So, um, just like watching him, you know, get into it. He definitely goes and digs back a little bit. Oh, wow. Although he's, although he's really like, and I think a lot of kids are these days. My, my daughter who's 13 is, is similar. Like they get really hooked on a song. Uh-huh. Like they'll listen to one song, like fucking like 50 times in a row. Yeah. There was a point. My stepsister used to drive me to like middle school and high school and I swear that it felt like she listened to only two songs that whole year. It was <laughs> Hard Knock Life and Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, and that was like she would just, we would get in the car and she would just hit the kind of thing or it's just always stuck. I don't know. And so what, there was. What a great combo. Yeah. And so I was like for that whole year, I was like, I hate Jay-Z and or like I hate. <laughs> Uh, Leonard Skinner and then like one day it was like I hit the button off because I guess I was just a really obedient kid and it went into like the next Leonard Skinner track and I was like oh wow this isn't annoying you know but it was only annoying by the sake of like you hearing it way too much right of course yeah so that that's like a strange thing I I've I feel like it's like I've if if I'm doing that in my life like listening to a song on repeat 
I'm not doing great in that moment. And I'm not making any <laughs> comment about your, your, your daughter or anything, but that's how I feel. It's like, yeah, it's like when it gets stuck on a song, I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think for them, it's like they live in these, especially my daughter, uh, they like live in like 30 second clips mm-hmm. because of TikTok. Yeah. And they're, they're just like always on it. And like that's how, and TikTok's the radio now. It's crazy. Like you have hits, but it's only like, you know, whatever, 30 seconds of each song and stuff. And like, the, the, but then they go and look them up for real. Like and list stream them on Spotify and stuff. It's weird how like music is traveling right now. I, I'm not. I'm well. I'm kind of surprised that there aren't like on Spotify like TikTok edits of songs that just have like the 30 second kind of version of it that you're used to hearing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that there'd be yeah, an industry. That, in I, mean, that. I mean, it's yeah. It's such a interesting little culture they've got going there have you because through your children have you gotten into being on tiktok not really like i i i you know i've seen theirs and stuff sometimes they'll show me ones they make yeah but like uh and and our oldest has already decided that it's not cool oh okay um, so, you know, maybe it's going the way of the buffalo. We'll see. Yeah. By the time I get into something, I assume it's like dead for kids. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm like, I just can't be like, I've played with it and some of the filters are funny, but it's like, all right. Yeah. I just like watching people fall down, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Which is the best part of it. Yeah. So, all right. So, going back to this specific record, uh, Kind of like thinking about it being their third album. I I got into Wilco really through Uncle Tupelo because for some reason, for the longest time, uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot did not click with me. I did like the documentary. I thought the story of it was really interesting, and you know, but like something about it. I they have a thing, especially when they get into that era where, and it kind of starts here. It really actually does start a lot on this record. Oh, yeah, definitely. Where they start just doing those extraneous noises, you know, which I think now I like about them. But kind of being somebody that also I wanted to, like, get to the hook, I just kind of was, when I was comparing it to Uncle Tupelo or comparing it to Sunbolt, I was like, it's all this extra shit, (laughs) is how I felt about Wilka for a long time. Yeah, which... I get totally. I mean, it (laughs) makes perfect sense. And it was, you know, the reaction that a lot of people had when that, especially when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out, everybody was like, it's all this weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like when I listen to Wilco now, it's like almost prefer that in a way, you know, I guess that's just growing up. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I like, I hard agree. Like their last record, Ode to Joy. Oh, I love that record. It's very good, but I will say when I first heard it, it's so organic that I was just like, I was like, there's not enough weird fucking noises and chimes and shit. (laughs) It's like it was a little sparse on production Uh for them. Yeah, I think that's Uh, also what, if I, I think that record actually helped really crack the code for them. Like, and I've been trying, like, I, I, it was like, I'd always be like, I like AM. Because it essentially sounded like Uncle it's Tupelo. Uh, Uncle Tupelo. <laughs> yeah, and I liked uh, being there. And uh, then I kind of wasn't really cool with anything else. But I think because of the time that 
you know, I was listening to when Ode to Joy came out. I was listening to probably like a lot of like slowcore stuff. And I feel like it kind of hits there because a lot of times it just, the record doesn't seem to like really go anywhere, but in a good way. Yeah. And it's kind of aimless, <laughs> but I like that about it, you know? Um, yeah. And that song, Love is Everywhere, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I don't normally do it this way, but uh, let's kind of just like start with the first track, like how it, it kind of eases into the record. Like, how do you feel about like Can't Stand It as a song? I love Can't Stand It. I think it's a really good song. Although I've recently, I have just read um, Jeff Tweedy's book, um, whatever it's called. And, and I just got, uh, for Christmas, I got the uh, deluxe edition Summer Teeth record, okay. which came with which came with this little book that had like a bunch of information in it. And one of the things that it said, and it was also in, in Tweedy's book was that can't stand. It was like a label ordered song. Like they were just like, this isn't done. Give us one more like banger. And they went in and we're just like fucking whatever. And just threw shit at the wall. And I was just like, Oh, I, I really like that song. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's strange. Cause it's also weird when, Sometimes when I feel when labels do that, it's almost like a power play because it's it's like, I don't know. I mean, Can't Stand It's a good track, but I can't really see where that would, looking at the rest of the record, where that would just like appease the label. It doesn't seem to like do anything that the other songs aren't. No, but they just wanted one more banger to try and make as a single, which they wound up not even doing. Yeah. But the, the record was, was originally going to start with uh, She's a Jar the second track which i think would which, be like a good opener too it would be a great opener but think about how that would change the whole vibe of the record because can't stand it and she's a jar could not be more different tonally and the first song sort of sets the tone yeah yeah i i like the idea of like a song like a first song almost being like the fake out where it's like it's kind of like telling people that you're either in or you're out kind of thing and then yeah. you the second song really like hits people like okay since you persevered through that then here's I the kinda, real first track I, I big time agree with you and have employed it on everything that virginity has put out yeah uh yeah i but yeah big time yeah i feel like it's it's like a bob mold trick the second the second song is always technically the better song for me it's a great way to get a record going. Yeah, but then it's also probably not smart because then in like a, a streaming era, if people are just popping in to listen to your band, then it's like if it's not your strongest song, you know. But but I mean, can't stand it's a good song. It's just kind of interesting to think of the kind of track listing order here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good that you like when I read that I was surprised. So you know. Like it, it's not like as if it's a song where you heard it and you were just like, Oof, they really phoned in this opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a great song. Yeah. Um, what other notes does does that expanded thing have? The expanded record have. Um. Well, it's got it's so it's got three discs. So it's got the re- you know the record as it as it is. And then there's a bunch of outtakes and alternate takes of songs, which like some of the like there's uh. There's a recording of uh, I'm Always in Love that's an alternate take that's, like, pretty fucking rocking. Like, maybe better oh, wow. than what's on the album. Yeah, it's, it's just got a little bit more heft to the guitars and stuff. Hmm. 
I'm trying to think about like where they were in their career because one of the things that I read is so this record sold around you know 200,000 copies when it came out and so I'm trying to think about like if you were to almost like rank the records and we don't really have to do that is this often I know you picked it as like your favorite album do you feel like it's one that people would usually claim as their favorite um, I think there's probably at least a a small segment, but yeah, by and large, I think a lot of people, a lot of people really love the uh, the whole love, like a lot. Um, that's like a really popular one. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. You know, they have so many records, and like that, it's probably like pretty equal because they all are pretty uh, distinct. So it's sort of like just falls on a taste thing, but um. You know, if you're a person like me that, you know, loves like, you know, pop songs and stuff like this is the Wilco record for you. I always go back to this idea of like a uh, Jay Farrar versus Jeff Tweedy. And, and, I, and I actually just dropped a Patreon episode, so I guess I'm advertising that. Um, so maybe it's a good companion piece with this episode. And I can't help but do it. I felt like since Uncle Tupelo was really, really my way into this band and Sunvolt, I picked Jay Farrar. And I just kind of went down that journey for, for a few years and was like, Jay is my guy. You know, with Uncle Tupelo, it was like, it was both people. You know, it's, it's like, I, it's, it was a full package. But I was like, oh, you know, I saw <laughs> I side with Jay Farrar in the divorce. Dude, somebody's <laughs> got to have Jay's back. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I, I know there's not, like, any kind of comment that probably you could make. Or I guess if there is, like, you know, going back and listening to... Do you feel like you listen to Sunvolt often? Almost never. I, I kind of don't... I don't dig on Jay so much. And I, and I don't really like Uncle Tupelo, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh you know, I went through a period where I was listening to it a lot because, like I said, I was I was you know nerding out and taking yeah, in yeah. everything. But yeah, there's very little in in Uncle Tupelo and even less in Sunfold that I return to. Okay, so you would have definitely uh, sided with Jeff Tweedy in the divorce. Uh, oh yeah, if they were like, <laughs> who do you, do you want to live with, Jay or Jeff? I'm gonna be like, I gotta live with at Jeff's house. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting though is I feel like um, as much as I listen to Sunvolt. I really don't go back to it as much, you know, like I, I, and I don't know if that's, you know, kind of like if you listen to something too much and you're kind of like Wilco is something I can explore more, but there's so many newer Sunvolt records that I haven't checked out. Like there's a certain period, you know, early period of Sunvolt I was really into. And now I feel like it's like tedious because there gets to be a point with, Jay Farrar, even though I'm a big fan, I say that if he's listening, um, that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Jay, um, that I feel like it's kind of the same thing a lot of times, you know, and that's like, I mean, it'd be nice, I guess, as a songwriter, if I kind of had a defined voice and could keep going that direction. So it's not a bad thing, but it's like Jeff Tweedy kind of felt like, as I explore it more, like, he's willing to kind of like change the notion of what people think Wilco is. Yeah. And that's kind of more interesting now at my point in life. Yeah. He's not really, uh, 
yeah, Jay has kind of stayed in the same lane the whole time. And Jeff was weaving in and out of every lane that he could find. Um, which, you know, like there's merit to both. Yeah. There's there's merit to staying the course and there's merit to exploration. But I just tend to be, you know, if, if I were Jay or Jeff, I would be Jeff because I like to. As soon as I have something and I feel like I've got it, I'm like, great. And now I'm going to do something different because I figured that out now. Yeah. And I like Jay Farrar would never have called an album Star Wars. Yeah. No, dude. <laughs> that takes that takes fucking guts. <laughs> I I really haven't spent a lot of time with that record, but when I see it, one I laugh good. and I also respect it. So even on top of having an album called Star Wars, they have an album called Schmilko. Yes. <laughs> Wilco Schmilko. I wonder what Jeff Tweedy was going through at that period. Because are those records like back to back? Yeah. And then prior to Star Wars, though, like this is where it really begins, is the album Wilco. Yeah. And the opening track is called Wilco. And it's about, it's like a love letter to fans. And the chorus is just saying, Wilco will love you, baby. I mean, that's where the fucking fucking starts to go off the rails well okay actually that's a good conversation then uh do you feel like there's do you feel like there's an era of of wilco where you're like not 100 percent on would it be that era no like i mean if there's an an area i'm not 100 percent on it's like the earlier stuff like i think that am is a fine record but i i don't love it it's probably my it, yeah it's pro- would probably be my least favorite wilco record yeah and then you know being there i love but i don't love large swaths of it which mm-hmm. is maybe always the guy when i don't care for a double album to be honest oh i don't i don't usually <laughs> I, I feel like i've said it on here and like so i feel like someone kind of pushed back at me when i said it you know but uh yeah so it's in a in a safe we're safe here I think I usually think that double albums are unnecessary. I think any time that there is a double album, it would have been a better album had it been one. Yes, because there's definitely like, you know, you got to separate the 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 wheat from the from the chaff, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like you're you're keeping all the chaff on a double album. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the experiment too on it, because um, it's like. I like who's Who's in arcade is kind of one where people say, you know, like, Oh, that one's perfect as is. Or like uh Minutemen double nickels on the dime. But it's like, as much as I love that Minutemen record, it still would have been better <laughs> as one record, which that might even be like a triple record. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, time economy. <laughs> like, it's just like, that's a long, like, I don't know. Like when I get a record, when it just comes out, I want to dig into it. And if it's fucking two hours long, I'm just going to be like, Oh my God, I'm not going to listen at all now. There's even the being there deluxe edition. So I'm going to look at first and see <laughs> how long being there it's, is. It's it, it, being there's like 23 or 24 tracks. It's so one hour and 17 minutes. Um, and in the record we're talking about, Summer Teeth is already like a decent length album, but yeah. you know, and okay, and then so being there, deluxe edition. Let's see. Let's let's do okay, it. Okay, scrolling down, I'm scrolling a long time. Three hours and fifty minutes. 
I was there's a lot of there's a lot of like live stuff, so I'll I'll give it a little bit yeah, of a there's, break. Yeah, there's there's a bit of there's a bit of that on this new summer teeth thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's kind of it's more a, of that. That's kind of a different thing. That's not, you know, yeah. Yeah, I will say. Um, well, this is a way to uh, bring it back to the record. Kind of <laughs> is in of the extras in the live stuff. It's a really bad concert they put on there. Okay. Because it's yeah, it's called like uh, an unmitigated disaster. Three eleven ninety nine at Tower Records, because with this with this record, Summer Teeth, they really experiment with Pro Tools for the first time, and they get into the you know they begin their descent into all the weird noises and shit, and it's the first time they had really gotten into that, and so this unmitigated disaster live show is just all the things they were doing to try to reproduce that shit live not working or fucking up and they keep having to stop and like they're clearly like embarrassed in between songs they're like okay here we go can you imagine (laughs) trying to one i don't i don't understand pro tools now in 2022 uh, but trying to master that in 1999 on the computers that <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm thinking about a computer in the late '90s. It's like I, I just can't even believe Pro Tools existed to run on that type of computer in whatever form it was. Yeah, I feel like it probably would be like it's like they have to carry a computer, almost like carry a desktop with them to every stop, you know? Because it's like this has the program, you know? Um, yeah, I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine there. Um. But yeah, it is the beginning of their it's the beginning of their big sound change which will, you know, carry over to the next, you know, four records at least pretty heavily. Yeah, and then the record after that, I'm going to see cuz I'm trying to like paint a picture of like where they were in their career. Okay, so 99 and then and then it's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Okay, yeah, that was yeah. Okay, because the between they did well right before Summer Teeth they did Mermaid Avenue, which is with Billy right. Bragg, Billy and then Bragg. the Volume Two in two thousand. So yeah, Yankee Hotel uh, was the next thing. So three years later, um, and then A Ghost Is Born in two thousand and four. Uh, yep. So how do you, how do you feel about like that era? Because I mean, honestly. I haven't like I feel like it's like I go early and now I'm kind of like working my way through and then it's like ode to joy so there's like all of that in between other than just knowing that they have an album called Schmilko it's like I don't you know I don't know the kind of progression there you know yeah so I mean all that stuff was out when I got into it but I did list start I started at the beginning and work my way through it so I was listening to it uh, as it progressed, and you know I've done it many times since. And so, yeah, I mean I think that that's their best era. Era there is when the like to me, Summer Teeth and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, because of the influence of Jay Bennett. Like I think that I think that as people, Jeff and Jay were terrible for each other, but when they were working together on songs, I just feel like they're fucking like they're fucking lennon mccartney uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> you know there there is there is good and i just feel like that's as good as far as like song structures and arrangements and melody and stuff like that i don't think they've been better than those two of records yeah and jay bennett passed away right 
he did indeed and it was like yeah the whole thing was a little ugly because he was like in the process of suing them and hmm. yeah. some weird yeah that was uh yeah again they were they weren't bad uh or they were they were bad for each other uh-huh. and then when they were making summer teeth they were both like crazy addicted to pills mm-hmm. um in the little book that came with this there's a quote from john strat the bass player where he's like he was like oh man summer teeth isn't a record like it's two guys losing their minds in the studio on pills he was just like we were hardly there yeah that's what that's what i read uh, a little bit about um so john is still in wilco i i believe right yes john and john and jeff are the only og yeah uh, members left because i believe uh ken left kind of after this because ken wasn't well well ken was replaced yeah with with, uh the current drummer glenn kochi um because in the in between between summer teeth and yankee hotel foxtrot jeff becomes friends with jim o'rourke who he starts a side project with called loose fur which is where he meets glenn kochi and they make a record and he's just you know he digs i mean and to be fair glenn is better than Ken and Glenn is one of the best drummers on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, you know, naturally he's like, Oh, I've got this guy. He's willing to do it. Sorry. Uh. Yeah. I mean, Ken and John, uh, were holdovers from uncle Tupelo. Um, yeah. you know, and so kind of the later uncle Tupelo, like the anodyne era, uh, thing it's, you know, it's crazy with all these years, like John still in the band especially with kind of like how it's uh it's expressed that jeff tweedy likes to write especially kind of going into this era you know oh yeah definitely yeah it's i uh, you know uh, they have a live dvd that's a bunch of uh you know live footage of them and in between they're like talking about stuff and jeff talks about how wilco has had so many members come and go over the years and but then when he talks about john he was like he was like but john is you know he was like i think wilco could stand more changes but not if it's john oh that's really interesting yeah i guess it's like you know kind of someone that you can you know kind of just depend on you know um, yeah, it's his homie dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah just i think about like that writing process i feel like years ago i would have been like kind of like when people go off and kind of do their little smile thing you know beach boys kind of thing like i'm like yeah, yeah. i feel like it's like worse for it but almost like now where i'm at i'm like you kind of do end up getting a lot of cool stuff if you're not completely married to just your band thing like you really push outside of your natural sound and then kind of when you have to go play it live i guess either it goes you have to do pro tools or you just kind of figure out how to make it work even if it sounds different which i think is what they've grown into yeah totally and and yeah they definitely have like they have the studio version and then you know whatever the representation of that will be live i've seen them live a couple of times you know you never even though things do sound different and if you were to a b them you'd be like they sound drastically different Mm -hmm. you know it's the vibes there and i think that jeff is such a strong uh writer of melody that like you could put his great melodies on any style of music and it would sound like the same song yeah like when you kind of if you stripped away everything it's still like an idea of him like playing a song 
You know, it's like, it, it, I, like there's this concept where people say like you should be able to play a good song in any format, and I don't really completely agree with that notion. But I think it yeah. works when you're looking at something like Wilco, you know, because I think that you could put Jeff Tweedy in a room with almost all of these songs and you could get the gist of most of these. Oh, totally. Yeah. And he does like I saw him like two years ago live play by himself. Yeah. And it was just as good as it always is. So the bleeps and bloops are, you know, cool and fun, but yeah, it's like there's a song underneath yeah, it. Yeah, they're window dressing. But what? yeah, I mean, and that's kind of at the heart of any good song really mm. is you know not that it can necessarily be played in any style of music but it's just like a good song is a good song like people know yeah I, they flock they flock to good shit i did <laughs> notice uh because i was kind of like trying to figure out like where this kind of sat in the time like like uh how to fight loneliness was featured on the movie girl interrupted uh <laughs> Which, oh yeah. man, I wonder if that's why, because it's in their top five on Spotify, <laughs> I noticed. And I was just like, I was like, what a weird fucking song yeah. to be in the top five. Well, there's another but, reason okay. too. It not only wasn't Girl Interrupted, it was on How I Met Your Mother. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's What an interesting s- song for, for that show, especially. Yeah. Uh, I've not that I've watched all of it, but I've seen a few episodes. And uh, the song "My Darling" was on Gilmore Girls. That I knew because I've watched Gilmore Girls yeah. many times through. <laughs> and the song "She's a Jar" has been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I guess most notably, which I don't know what this is, a movie called Darwin Awards. So, if anyone oh. out there is a fan of that movie. I'm always in love is in a commercial for faucets in which Glenn Kochi is playing drums with automatic water things by holding his hand underneath them and hitting cymbals and stuff. And I'm always in love is playing. That's I've a real that thing. TV and real. Yeah. I saw it on TV in, in real life. And I was like, what's happening? Well, it's even like, I think if someone was like, I, th- I think if I saw Jeff Tweedy somewhere, I would know who he was, but it's like, if I saw Glenn somewhere, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's just kind of the, I guess, the curse of being a drummer. True. <laughs> Although I think I would recognize Glenn, but I understand that I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the regular type of person for that specific scenario. So do you feel like you're, are you the type of Wilco fan that, have you ever just like, oh, I'm going to unwind by just putting on Wilco live on like YouTube? Sure. Oh yeah, I love watching them live because yeah. they're. Uh, I especially love like newer live Wilco, which is funny because I was just talking about how much I like Hooks, and they've fucking absolutely become like a, a dead like uh, jam band at this yeah, point. Yeah, they like, really every have. song's yeah. got a fucking five minute interlude in it, but live, it's incredible to watch. Yeah, I love it. I mean, like uh, it. One of the ways that I actually kind of discovered that their live shows are like that, because I've never actually seen them live, uh, is I think, I believe I was watching a Grateful Dead live video and then it went to Wilco live, (laughs) (laughs) which I was like, I've entered such a like... That, that makes that makes sense yeah well yeah i mean that's what happened that's what happened when they made sky blue sky yeah um and nels was officially in the band and i think when ne- like nels signals the arrival of like a new era for wilco that's they're out of the noise game 
um, you know, by and large, mm-hmm. and they're entering where they're currently at, which is like, you know, jam band. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting too, because I feel like a lot of Nell's stuff, like he has some almost like not free jazz, but it's like his the Nails Klein trio stuff from yeah the Nails Klein trio stuff yeah I've listened to it and he does like do like a lot of what he does I just listened to a podcast with him actually an interview so I found out like a little bit what he does for a living in between being in Wilco because that's not a full time gig is like he lives in New York and he goes to jazz clubs in the city mm-hmm. and he'll just sit in with a drummer or a bass player. And they'll just no no pre planning whatsoever, no practice. It's all improvisation for yeah. like four fucking hours. Yeah, that's what I've kind of when I was like looking up him more when I was kind of go, going more into Wilco live videos, just like two hour long videos playing in the background. Uh, yeah, like I dug into Nails Klein's past with that. So definitely like a oh, jazz yeah. head dude, a uh, big time. <laughs> and he, I mean, and he. God, he's so good, he that, man. To to have hands that work like that, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one one thing I was thinking about, and mainly because I had been just revisiting uh, Uncle Tupelo record, like the song "Via Chicago," and this is something I completely made up. I don't have any way of knowing that it's, but it's like I almost wondered if this was a song about like wanting to hurt Jay. That's an interesting uh, interpretation. When it came out, everybody thought it was about his wife. Yeah, I mean, I could see that too. It's like I well, there yeah. are, and there are a couple problematic lyrics throughout the album. Like at the end of "She's a Jar," he's like, "She begs me not to hit her." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which, like, yeah, which in his book he addresses. He was just like, "Of course I didn't." Hit. He's like, "This is written as like a character, like a worse version of myself that doesn't actually exist." Yeah, I feel like there was like. There was like a thing around that time, and it's not like it doesn't exist, but there was an artistic kind of, and it it doesn't like get it off the hook, but it's almost like an artistic misogyny, you know, like it's yeah. it's yes. it's it's kind of like a product of kind of like late nineties, early two thousands edge lordism that also kind of is like a, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. It, it's ironic, but it's sort of like. When you wear, when you see it this far away from its source, right? You're it like, is just the thing they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, which like I have no, um, you know, I understand that people evolve. <laughs> yeah, and cultures evolve, and at that point in time, it wasn't that weird. No, it really. Uh, even though now, with hindsight, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about burying someone on a fucking fireworks display. Yeah, and I, that's well. That's where I kind of made up in my head. I was like, man, I just either it's a character, which it probably is, or if it's kind of like just the worst expression of how he felt about Jay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that might be true. I like that. I like that take on it, and it's a great. It's a it's a staple. Every time I've seen them live, they play it. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. <laughs> when they hit that like last verse on the record, there's a bunch of noise. But live, only Jeff is in tempo, and everyone else is just doing what the fuck ever, making as much po- noise as possible. And then with no apparent signal, they suck it all back at once, and it's just him again. It's like I've seen them do it like three or four times live, and every single time it blows my fucking mind. Yeah. So so I guess you're saying you've seen them in concert like 
a few times. Oh, so many times, yes. Yeah. And has that been has that been in like the Florida area? Oh yeah, always always in Florida. Um St. Pete and Orlando and then uh maybe St. Augustine one time. And uh well, actually to comment on another song. Um do you think that I'm always in love is the same song as Passenger Side? Um <laughs> Is it? Oh, I'm now I'm trying to hear passenger side in my head. It's really a melody thing. And I, you know, and so uh, I guess in this instance, if Jeff is listening, I too have done the same thing <laughs> for writing songs. So I'm not, I mean, um, you know, it's like, but it's like, it feels like it carries along the yeah. same way. It's I mean, like I the can, same. I think I can, I see what you're getting at. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of. Yeah, there's only so many. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who among who among us? <laughs> who among us hasn't? Yeah, yeah. There's only um, so many chords. There's only so many chords. There's only there's only so many ways you can you know make your voice move in a in a way that's palatable. Anyways, um, fucking do what you want, baby. It's art. You call it art. You can do what you want. Yeah. Uh, I want to make sure, like, if you had, like, more comments about, like, songs or, you know, directions you wanted to go into. I know I always oh. lead it in weird places. So I don't, <laughs> wa- I don't want to. I don't, I don't know if I, I have any. I did, like, take notes. Uh, I listened through a couple times today and, like, wrote a couple things down. But I don't think there's anything. Uh, I don't think there's anything fucking mind-bending in here that anyone's going to. uh miss out on (laughs) actually i want to i want to hear some of like your like general notes like like okay so one of the things i wrote i'll start it it was like and we kind of went through it already but it was like why this album you know so it's like that's what my notes look like (laughs) so i almost want to i almost want to hear like maybe what one of the one or two of those notes look like okay (laughs) minor minor a little bit more um okay so let's let's take let's take the trek after i'm always in love called nothing's ever gonna stand in my way again what do you think about that song um it's one of those songs that kind of make me feel like it's like a beatles song and but not in a way that i completely love okay it's a like uh, by and large from things i've read and stuff it's a it's a pretty derided song and i it's one of my favorites on the okay. record uh i put i literally put on here from what i've heard people don't really like this one but it's one of my favorites pure pop gold melody all over this goddamn thing uh i love a chorus that's just it yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i mean there's not like anything because sometimes on on this podcast i'll do like a you know, like if you had to pick one, you know, like a song to cut, but I, it was kind of tough with this one. Like, even though this record, oh, I, I have a cut song. <laughs> okay. Then go, go into that. Cause I feel like there's like a consistent vibe through a lot of the record. So it was almost kind of hard. Sometimes what makes things like easy to cut is kind of like if a song completely changes the feeling of it, then, and I guess if it's not the strongest, then that's the one. So what would you pick as like a song or two or however many that you would cut? Um, yeah, I would probably cut, I would, I would probably cut We're Just Friends. Um, I don't love it. Yeah. I, yeah. I just feel like in general, it's just like, I'm just like, I feel like this is, you know, this is fat that could have been cut. Yeah. Of all the, kind of when I'm thinking of how the, it progresses, I feel like the issue I'm having in my head is it, I can't recall it. 
Like, it's like I can think of a shot in the arm and I can think of I'm always in love, but I'm not really thinking of we're just friends at the moment. So I think maybe I agree with you because I just can't think of the song existing. I literally wrote that in my notes. I put possibly my leave track. I don't love it. Subject matters, whatever, like a workplace romance thing or something. Very short, which is its <laughs> very short, which is its saving grace. And then I put it's just forgettable. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, with with like sixty minutes of an album, you know, it's like this could have been fifty and probably have the same effect. Oh yeah, totally. Like they could have, they could have lost that. They could have lost. I mean, honestly, they could have lost how to fight loneliness. Sorry to the girl interrupted fans <laughs> out there, but <laughs> yeah, sorry to their I, like, revenue. I don't. That they probably. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't care for it. I. I think it's kind of a boring track. It's very cynical, which is fine. I get that. Um, I. I write cynical things, but I. I like. I like when Jeff gets either angry or hopeful but this is just him like being like eh. so i guess uh conversely though what would you say is your favorite song on the album Oof. 23 seconds of silence um um i'm probably gonna go shot in the arm mm, that's a good one and it, it's gonna probably sound surprising for for my pick since it seemed like i made fun of it uh, I'm always in love would be my favorite. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's probably, that's a contender for it for me as well. That's probably my number two. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely like the song that like when I saw that, that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot documentary, they play, uh, I'm always in love in it. I think it might be the first song you see them play live and it's just them in the studio. And like, that's like that was my conversion moment was seeing them play that. And that I was just like, Oh my God, this rocks like, like it's punk, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of when I started kind of letting my guard down and, uh, realizing that I could go live with Jeff sometimes too, that, you know, (laughs) I, I, I like the fact that they can be a jam band in a sense, you know, as much as, I mean, they kind of are, but there aren't, you know, they're not, that's not the experience because they have hooks and that's like the point like that is just right. like straight up just like a perfect pop song you know that and you know a shot in the arm are just like the best distilled versions of pop songs yeah i thought it was really interesting wilco was just inducted into the austin city limits hall of fame a couple weeks ago and um so when they came up and accepted their award and then they played one song and what they played was a shot in the arm, which I thought I was just like, that's you got one thing to play on this like momentous occasion. I would not have. I don't know if, uh, if I was you, I would have picked this song, but it's awesome. Yeah. And also with something like Austin City Limits, um, you feel like they would almost lean to something that might be perceived as countryish. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they did close it out where everyone that got, you know, the award that night came out and they sang. Uh, California Stars, which is from the first Mermaid Avenue. Okay. So, you know, that one's pretty country-ish and, you know. So they got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like a thing. Like, even when I was getting really into alt-country bands, it's kind of like outside of AM, I didn't really view them as an alt-country band because I don't think they've, they haven't been trying really since uh, AM. 
uh, to do yeah, to do I mean, that. There's there's there yeah there's moments of it uh, in in being there, but uh, but yeah I mean they abandon that very quickly. Yeah, which I I think like now at my place in life that I feel like that was the better decision because it's like they can always like put that hat on again if they need to you know but it's like they don't have to always just be that which as as a person that has been in alt country bands that's sometimes what kind of is a bummer about it because it's like i don't want to wear the pearl snap shirt tonight you know (laughs) it's like you kind of want to do like a different thing but it's kind of like people put you in that box so i think that they were smart to try and move out of that perceived box early in their career Right, which just comes back to what I was saying before, which is just like the dude just wants to explore. Like yeah. that's ultimately like if you had to be like, what kind of music does he play? You'd have to be like, whatever he's into right in that moment. Yeah, because he he's just always progressing. Um, I guess like another like little factoid. Um, so Mitch Easter helped engineer this record, and that's a name. He he worked on like REM records and also he's like a he's he's like a known quantity in North Carolina. Like he's oh, okay. like he lives in North Carolina and still works as a producer like around these parts. So Oh, um, that's cool. It's interesting. So even though it's like like he was like a known person even at that time, so it's like with them saying it's produced by Wilco, yes, true. <laughs> but Mitch Easter had like a big hand in it too. Um and another fact, uh, Pitchfork gave this a 9.4 out of 10. Saw that. I read that. And then they put out another Pitchfork review for the deluxe edition one where it was given a 9.0. Oh, so it's, oh, they're saying it's it's slightly not as good. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were also grading, though, all the extra bullshit. Yeah, so. yeah. Which, I mean, a 9. <laughs> but 9.4, like, I, you think about... Because actually, I, when I looked at the review, I feel like I had to do a double take and make sure it wasn't like a revised review. Because I feel like that. Oh, me too. <laughs> I like, yeah, I was checking for the date and stuff. I was just like, no way they liked this when it came out. They didn't like shit. They didn't, yeah, they didn't like anything then. And also, it kind of makes me feel that at that point, then I would say that like Pitchfork has a saying that I feel like if you weren't like a. I don't think this idea really exists anymore, but it was like a collegiate kind of indie, what's the word? I guess precociousness. I'm not saying that right. Precocious? Precocious. That's the one. Um, <laughs> it like, it, it kind of like felt like if you weren't, if you weren't of a certain like type of person, like, I mean, shit, if you were an alkaline tree or you were going to get destroyed on Pitchfork in 1999. So that leads oh, me yeah. to think that Wilco was like viewed, I guess, as like an indie darling at this point. You know, um, well, I think this, I think being there started their role into that, and then I think that Summer Teeth firmly planted them in indie darling status before, you know, Pitchfork called them fucking dad rock, and they became that. Well, that's yeah, that's what I mean. They kind of have become that, but it's like when you look back at it's just it's funny to think of like how kind of that that perception will change, but it's like. They also haven't, they've changed a lot in their career, but it's like the tenants are still there. So when people kind of turn on you, not that, I mean, they're doing completely fine. They're playing like stadium still or whatever. Um, You know, it's an interesting thing when you're kind of like, you're no longer like the underdog, you know, is, is, is unique because like, it's like, they were still potentially not there. They weren't like arcade fire perceived at this time. Right. Yeah. They were. 
yes, this is what, you know, put, you know, and Pitchfork's probably part of the reason why they got more popular after this is probably that 9.4 review. Yeah, that's when it could, um, like, change your life, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and I also just think that that's just about, like, and maybe it still is, is, like, subverting expectations because Summer Teeth is fucking different as hell mm-hmm. than you know the things that come before it being um, uncle tupelo and a-, a you know am and being there and like i think they just like they just went around to the other side and we're just like it's awesome isn't it? and they were like i guess it is yeah yeah <laughs> what i'm interested in like seeing because you, you were saying like how it influenced you at a point or just like how deep you got into wilco um, how do you feel like it influences your songwriting in, you know, in virginity or I guess, does it? Uh, I mean, it definitely does. It does more and more all the time as we, as we add members and as we, you know, become a more cohesive unit and like going back to what we had talked about earlier, you had said like, you know, at a certain point in your, you know, musical life, you're just like, you know, people go off and do solo things or whatever to try and move, you know, oh, you know, away from their little circle that they'd been in. And I was kind of feeling that after we did our last record, or I was just feeling like I wanted to do something different. And I started writing all these songs that don't really sound like virginity songs. And I thought that I might, um, you know, I was like, maybe I'll just record them by myself or something, just acoustic. I don't know. But then I was just like, you know, like I had, it. I started getting, not getting into Wilco because I'm always into them, but I, I had like a Wilco kick for a minute and I started listening to like how, you know, over the course of the time they just make these huge changes and it just doesn't matter. And then I was just like, well, fuck it. Then these are going to be virginity songs and it's just going to be different and, people like it or they won't and that doesn't matter because that's not what i'm doing it for anyways or at least it shouldn't be yeah do you feel like with starting uh virginity do you do you feel like you had any expectations of what it could be or because i feel like sometimes when i think about starting uh the band i'm in late bloomer or you know the other band all right it was the goal at the time was almost just like i'd like to record a song it's like it's like if you could burn a oh, yeah. burn a song on a cd that would have been the goal at the point yeah <laughs> i mean that's exactly how like i when virginity started because it was never consciously started really i was doing stand-up comedy at the time and i hadn't played music in 12 years um but i was feeling a little stagnant with comedy and i was going through like this really weird time with my uh stepdad and i started writing songs to like deal with that and i sent it to jim our drummer who's just a friend of mine um our our old bands used to play together and stuff mm-hmm. um i sent it to him and he was like this is a cool song like uh watch you write a couple more and we'll, let's make like a do a little recording project and i was like that'll be sweet that'll be a cool thing to do to get away from comedy a little bit or just be creative in a different way and then that became our first record which was with time and like so there was a point where i was like i'm writing more songs i was like i guess it's going to be an album and then it was just like well then i was like you know this may never come out but then we decided like i guess we will put it out and then all eventually dikembe caught wind of it and put it out somehow i don't remember exactly how that came to be but 
And yeah, I mean, it all just spiraled from just like, I'm just trying to do something to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea you were talking about a second ago about like, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't sound like virginity. I think a different way that I think of really the same thing is that it's like, even if I change the way I'm approaching songwriting, I can't help but be me. So I think even if I feel like if it's a huge change for me, it's like, how much of a change is it really overall? Which is something I try and remind myself that it's like, it's probably not as drastic as a change as like it would feel like to me. And I think that's a yeah, good thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it's always, it's still, you know, regardless of the the tonal shape of it, it's still your voice. And then the other part of that is that it's like, to say like it doesn't really sound like a virginity song is just a total fucking farce anyways because we are fucking virginity so if we yeah. make this song yeah. it sounds like virginity <laughs> yeah it's like we always struggle with this idea like it's like you know when you, you play a show and you're like well we got to play these songs but it's like we're not well we're not wilco we don't have to play these songs <laughs> like it's like yeah we don't have know. it it's no one gives a fuck what we play right in now. a good way no one gives a fuck about it you know it's like Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's, awesome. it's it's freeing because it's <laughs> like you don't have to play the song that got you know over a thousand streams just because it, you know whatever the number is you know like all our yeah, fans totally. expect us to you know it's like you don't have yeah, to. I mean I, I fall into the yeah I fall into the same trap like and there are definitely there are songs like anyway I'm full of shit I'm like yeah it's liberating even though fucking there's like five songs where I'm like well we gotta play these ones yeah I mean I've been there and I'm uh, currently always there but it's like it's like a reminder <laughs> of kind of like sometimes you can kind of like be your own like stop on it you know it's like push yourself out of it and it's probably not as far away as you think and just kind of like almost like write right to right is like a new th- new kind of way I'm thinking of it. it's not like a revolutionary thing I'm the first person that's ever thought of it but it's like I, you, I always like switch forward to thinking about like oh how am I going to record it how am I going to play it live but it's like you know those are a bunch of steps past the thing that you don't yeah. have to consider now which probably is kind of how they approach summer teeth you know I mean it's yeah. definitely and I will uh, oh yeah and like yeah, they were definitely, and then they tried to reproduce it, and it was a fucking hot mess, but, like, yeah, like, that was, like, and that especially goes for our first record, like, because I didn't even know if it was ever going to come out, let alone, I definitely wasn't thinking we were going to play shows ever, so uh, no part of me was like, I gotta make sure we can at least kind of do this live, um, so there's 900 fucking guitar parts and shit, because I was like, who cares, no one's ever going to hear this, um, and then we were a three piece for like our first year, which is insane to think about, but we like built these different versions of the song that still sounded like them. But now there were fucking three piece, you know, green day sounding band. Yeah. And there, but there are these songs presented in that form. And that kind of like led into like the sound of like, you know, the, the following EP and then even more like pop mortem, which is like pretty different than our first record. Yeah. And how do you think like, if you kind of look forward with virginity songs, like are do you feel like there's like a going back to that first thought? Like it doesn't matter. Is it kind of more of like a band way? Like how, how are you kind of balancing the two different things? Well, well that's like been the, the, the curve of virginity is that it started with me 
And, you know, if you listen to the demos for With Time and you listen to the finished product, there's not a lot of changes there, you know, except for in sound quality is much better. Um, you know, Jim produced me where, in which he is our producer. Like, Jim's way better at music than any of us, uh, our drummer, and he also records all our stuff. You know, he produced me a little bit on that first one and stuff and gave his thoughts where he had them. But, like, then on the second thing, he was a little more involved. Mm -hmm. And then on Pop Mortem is by then we had Jordan, our bass player. And so now Jordan's a little more involved. And, and so the process has been taking me out of the equation more and more. So like the way that we're doing things now is that I will write a couple verses and a chorus and I'll make like a one to one and a half minute demo of that with melody on, you know, acoustic and then we will flesh out the rest of it together. And so the process has been taking more more and more me out of it, which is like a good way to uh, kill your ego, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess, how how do you feel like you, because you have four kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the question is someone that doesn't have any kids. Um, how do you find the time? Oh, I mean... <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Um, if, you know, I got asked that a lot when I did stand up, and uh, I guess my feeling is like, is everybody makes time for things. Yeah, most people choose to use that time to, you know, chill, watch movies, watch TV, whatever stuff like that. Like I, I forego that time to do this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like I'm kind of always going. And I'd like never watch movies or TV shows except for like, you know, there's a, there's one or two yeah. that we'll watch a year. But for the most part, I just like, don't take in TV, <laughs> which if you take that out of your life, you've just opened up a lot of time yeah. or, you know, a lot of people do. Um, and that's, that's it. And, you know, I stay up late. I find times to do things in between other shit. It's just, if you want to do something, you can find the time for it. Hmm. As someone who watches TV too much, um, yeah, I think you, you've taught me something. Uh, so, well, I guess like going, I was thinking back, because usually when somebody is in a current band, I'm always like, what did you play in before that, you know, I would know. But I think you kind of answered that with like the stand up comedy question. Uh, but I, but I guess that's still the question, like, you know, kind of like, how did you get to this point of virginity if there's something we haven't kind of mentioned i mean so i i would play in a band in high school called boy meets heart uh that was bad but we did some cool sure <laughs> sorry my, my wife's asking me for my phone oh you're good um uh so anyways boy meets heart bad band but we did cool stuff like we opened for uh we opened for Hello Goodbye. Uh, yeah. Went on like their first tour when just that first drive-through EP was out, uh -huh. um, and a bunch of little bands like that, like Daphne Loves Derby and stuff. So, and we played Warp Tour in two thousand six, um, which was you know funny. <laughs> it was a fun. <laughs> it was a funny time when I look back at it now. And then um, my girlfriend, then now wife, um, got pregnant, and we had a baby. And then I walked away from music for almost 13 years i like barely played at all and then i started doing stand-up in 2014 and stand-up led me back to music via fest yeah and like where were you at because 
the stand-up thing is like really interesting. Like I feel like when I was when I was a kid, and a lot of kids probably felt this way. It's like I told myself that I was going to be a stand-up uh, for a lot of my life. <laughs> like that's what I was going to do. It was either that or like you know I don't know professional BMXer or something like. But it was like stand-up was always <laughs> there, you know. Yeah. And so, but but it was it got to a point where it was like. You know, I run a label. Now I do a podcast and I play in two bands. It's like, it was never, there's never enough times. It's kind of like, you got, you're going to have to drop a hobby if you're picking up another one, kind of thing. Uh, you know? And stand up is like a time commitment. Yeah. Um, and there's so many like level, like if people think like the gatekeepy things that happen in music are bad, oh, dude, they don't give a fucking comedy. Yeah. They'll openly gatekeep and let you know they're doing it to you, to your face, till you prove yourself. Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, uh, starting out is rough, and then it can be really fun and great. Where do you feel like you were at the point in your stand-up trajectory, and do you still do so it? I don't still do it. <clears throat> I started doing this, and this started taking up way more yeah. time than I would have expected, and. To be good at comedy and stay good at it, you, you gotta get up a lot. Yeah, and it was just like I, I, I was maintaining both for a little while, and my stand-up sets started to get kind of shitty, and it was because I wasn't going up as much, and I was just like, oh, I gotta make kind of a call here because I can't really do both things and like you know maintain what I you know being a, a dad and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I did it for five years though. And it was great, and I opened, you know, I have Hello Goodbyes for comedy also. I opened for Brian Posehn oh, wow. uh, and, and Mark Normand and uh, some other people, some other handful of people that have Comedy Central specials. Yeah, do you feel like, would you see yourself ever going back to it? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I When I was doing it the first time, I didn't know how hard starting was going to be and if i went back at any point from like now on it'd basically be like starting over yeah and i don't know if i will willingly put myself through that again yeah i feel like i always tell myself uh that it's like if my if either of my bands broke up then it's like they thought of starting a new band at this point in my life i was like i think i would just stop you know, and I don't know if that's really true, but but it's like, yeah, the thought yeah. of like kind of going back to it after an absence is like terrifying. Yeah, I think that I think that I would not go back to that. On uh, conversely, you know, I didn't play music for twelve years, and now that I'm doing it again, I know that no matter what happens with virginity or whatever thing, that I I probably will not go any length of time without writing songs. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like I've sort of accepted like I'm like this is you know I realize now that like that's what I do is like I'm a songwriter people might not like those songs but this is like you know this is the only thing that I feel like I'm good at yeah and do you all I know it's like a weird time to really ask this question but it's like do you feel like <laughs> you have do you all have plans to like tour I know you had the one with uh some dates with Dikembe that were you know that didn't happen because obviously yeah we rescheduled that twice or we rescheduled it once and then we were getting ready to maybe reschedule it again and we were just like fuck it let's just do it in a year or something yeah 
Um, yeah, like right before COVID started, we were booking a tour, which I had to then cancel. Um, but since that time, I have decided I've COVID gave me a lot of time to think and uh, and make Pop Mortem, which was like a learning experience now that I'm on the other side of it. And I, I don't, I don't know how much we will tour. Yeah. I was gonna like give it a go, but then this happened and I started marinating on the idea of that. And, and, and and I just started thinking about what it means to like play a show, you know, now that I've played a couple for the first time after a very long time with not doing it. And like, I, I generally, genuinely rather enjoy the time I am on stage playing. That is a good time. I don't, I don't like the rest of I it. I don't either. <laughs> you know, but but it's like <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to be there. I don't want to deal with this merch. I don't want to deal with merch at all. I don't want to sit at this table. I don't want to lug this shit around. I don't want to do this. Like what makes me happy, and. You know, now our band's getting very collaborative. Like the new shit we're writing now, like I said, with the process mm-hmm. I have, like I'm getting a lot more input from them. Like we had a weekend a couple weeks ago where we got together and we just spent all day for three days just working off the bones that I had kind of started. And like, it was a fucking revelation. Yeah. I was just like, I, I left the weekend and for like, a, you know. You know, even still now, I'm still like, I'm fucking vibing off of it. I was like, that was the fucking best shit that uh, most fun, like creative fucking thing I've ever done. And that's the, that's what I want to do. That's the exciting part is like discovering the song. Yeah, totally. Uh, I felt like it's like, I don't, I don't even know the answer. Like, you know, the tour thing. Cause it's like, we're not really on the other side of it and I'm not represented by, you know, APA or whoever, you know? So, yeah, but it's like, <laughs> but it's like all I knew at the end of kind of thinking of things, it's like, I know I like writing songs when I actually sit down and do it. Um, and so it's like, that's really all, if you took everything away, I know I'm not going to stop doing that part of it. So, you know, it's like, I guess I'm going to keep doing this, <laughs> you know? So all the other things are just things you kind of yeah, have to do. And it's, you know? Right. And like touring is really all about like going out and like you know fostering a big audience for yourself um you know if you can that's the idea of it and like i just don't know that i i give a fuck yeah i i think like where (laughs) where i've kind of come to it it's like and i i think it's like i guess i might go back on the road but it's like the instance has to be from that initial spark you know it's like you have to create to create and then kind of like go from there. I feel like before COVID, there was this idea. It's like all of us, you know, because you were saying like you were looking into like touring more and all that stuff where it's almost like you can't do it if you don't do this other thing. Like it was like the bill of goods we were sold. You know, it was like you kind of have to go on tour to keep doing this band. That's like the next logical step. But it's right. like you don't have to to create. If you want to, that's good. Then that's fun. But it's like when we took back this distance and like people started putting out singles and all these other ways it's like you just do whatever feels right 
Right. Well, I think then I think that there's probably you know there's people that are built for the road. Yeah. You know, there's road dogs out there that do it, but I think that there's a lot of people that kind of feel like you and me after COVID, where you sort of saw the because we were forced to, uh, you know, necessity is the the mother of invention. We were forced into this weird situation where we couldn't play shows, and all of a sudden we realized that like a music scene can still thrive without it. Yeah. And it's hard to unsee the world like that now. And now I I feel like I'm just like, I'd so much rather prioritizing, you know, and we're, and I'm in a privileged position to do so because we have access to a a very nice studio at any given point in time. I was like, well, what I really love is recording and making records more so than even any of the other shit. And now I know that playing shows doesn't even have to be a thing you fucking do. Like why let's put out a record every year. Yeah. And fuck touring, like you know, maybe a couple dates here and there. I, you know, I am about to. We are about to announce a couple <laughs> dates, actually, just a little wrong. <laughs> but for the most part, we're not going to be. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's the part I'm kind of projecting is like I really felt like it was like when I kind of had to take a step back from it. It was like if I'm if I'm not going to be able to tour, why would I do it at all? And then it was like that's not why you got into it, you know. So. You know, that's the whole point. That's, that is the whole point is that you got to make it. Well, and then I would say that that's probably, I'll admit it here, that that may be where I went wrong with Pop Mortem. I was, I wasn't thinking enough about how I wanted to do it. I was thinking and feeling like I had to do it and it had to be good and I needed to make it great because I knew people were going to listen this time. And, and I, I think that Pop Mortem is a great album. I think it's the best thing that we have out, but I do, when I listen to it now, I hear what I hear is not like a a competent songwriter that is doing what he loves. I hear, you know, here and there, I can see little parts of me where I'm like, you did that for maybe to be cool. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, I, I, I feel like it's like, why are you looking at me? You know, like kind of feeling, but yeah, that's, I like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so our next shit is going to be insanely different, but it, it's going to be, I think our most collaborative and our most authentic. Hmm. And before I let you go, uh, so you did do the song, I, and I want to phrase it correctly. You did do the song with Eve Six, and I feel like we we kind of would oh, sure. would have to mention it on a pod, on a podcast. So how did that come about? Uh, I mean, he was doing his thing on Twitter that he does. <laughs> he, does. he does. I somehow got, uh, you know, just like everybody, we were all tweeting at the fucker yeah. uh, at first, especially. And uh, for whatever reason, I wound up being, I was like, I'll, <clears throat> let me send you our new record that's not out yet. And you can, um, you can review it. And so I sent him the record and ultimately he did listen to, I don't think he even listened to the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Um, but he listened to some of it and he was like, yo, your best song is, uh, you know, whichever one, but it needs a chorus. It's boring. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, I was like, I got kind of annoyed about it at that point. I was like, fuck you. Uh, but anyways, we kept talking, interacting here and there. He followed us and then we were messaging each other and then they put out their EP. And on the day that they put it out on the fifth track called good for you, they put up the instrumental version. Mm -hmm that was not one with lyrics and he tweeted out like, Hey, we're getting that fixed, but it's going to take like 24 hours. So if anybody out there wants to, you know, write some lyrics for it, 
uh, go ahead and record those and we'll release it as a collaboration, which he said jokingly. And Dikembe tagged me in that tweet and I woke up on a Saturday morning and saw that and I just immediately went to work on it. And I did it in about two hours. I recorded it in my van on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and then and fucking they, he loved it. We put it, you know, then, you know, we did a slightly better recording job. I, it's, it's still the takes I used, actually. But we, you know, I didn't mix it on fucking GarageBand on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's it. And then we, we put it out. And it was very nice of them. And they're, they have been... Uh, legitimately, I uh, I didn't I wasn't uh, a Johnny Come Lately on these Eve Six fellas. Uh, Horoscope is like a foundational album for me. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands. I celebrate their entire catalog. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a really cool story. Um, with it, that sounded condescending. Sorry, uh, uh, but really cool. So, <laughs> well, goodbye. <laughs> I'm gonna leave all that in there. Um, uh, well, uh, okay. So, uh, I mean, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, I guess, like before I let truly let you go, uh, where can people find you? And I guess if you, you know, please plug your most recent, uh, releases or what you have coming up. Um, so, uh, you can find, uh, our band virginity at virginity is rad on everything on the Twitters and Instagrams. Uh, our website's virginityisrad.com, which could get you to any of the other things you'd want to get out. We just put out a record in October called Pop Mortem that even though it's just kind of slagging it off there, I'm just being hypercritical. It's great, and I love it. And I worked so, so hard on it for like the entire length of COVID. Um, and uh, yeah, check, check out Pop Mortem. It's good. And thank you for having me. This was great. Summer teeth, baby. Look at us. Welcome back. Thanks again to Casey for coming on the pod. Don't forget to check out the new Virginity album, Pop Mortem, out now on Smart Punk Records. And check out the track Good For You, featuring Max Collins of Eve 6 with Casey. Okay, next time on the pod, we're talking with Pat Graham of Big Nothing and Sprainerd. We talked about Oscar's 2001 album Idol Will Kill, an underrated pop punk classic, so stay tuned. Once again, check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you do that sort of thing. Reviews definitely help. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. I've been in it.